Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast. This podcast series was designed to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters. We cover a variety of topics that will help you become more confident and comfortable in the field while hunting deer. On this episode, I talk with outdoor writer and big time deer hunter Scott Bestel about how to hunt the rut. We discuss everything from locating food sources and bedding areas, paying attention to the doe groups, and how to put a plan together to hunt this time of year. Listen close, because what you will hear in this episode will help you find success in the upcoming weeks. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Scott Bestel. Scott, how are we doing, man? Just very well, Dan. Thanks so much. Appreciate you having me on. Yes. it's an exciting time of year for guys like us. Oh, absolutely. It, it, now, I don't know what this means. Does this mean that um, for the other 10 months out of the year, our lives are boring and dull and plain? Uh, no, because we play with deer all year round, don't we? Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. Our minds, our minds are always active, right? Exactly. We're hunting, even if it's just mentally. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So... Um, you know, I'm going to give, I'm going to give you a little intro to the people who are listening right now. Scott has been, uh, how many years have you been an outdoor rider? Oh, uh, about 30, I think now. Yeah. Okay. Kind of, kind of uh, hard to, hard to admit or believe that it's been that long, but yeah, I've been plugging away at it for about, uh, I've been avoiding gainful employment for over 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I just caught on to that, right? Uh, recently. <laughs> right. So, um, I understand where you're coming from now and I, I, I like it. I like not being employed to the quote unquote, the man. Right. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yep. So, uh, okay. So 30 years, uh, being an outdoor writer, so you've written a lot of articles about a lot of different things. How many years, let me ask you two questions here. Number one, how old are you? And number two, how many years have you been hunting? Okay. So you're going to just pin me to the wall right away. Right away. <laughs> I am 60 years old. I will turn 61 in, uh, on November 5th. Um, and fun fact, although I've hunted on my birthday for probably every year for the last 20, I have never killed a whitetail buck on my birthday. So I don't know what's going on with that. It's some kind of crazy jinx. Um, time out, I, time out, time out. Okay. Before we go any further, this blows my mind because <laughs> on November 1st of this year, or excuse me, November 5th, I turned 41. So seriously, you have the same birthday, same exact birthday. Awesome. Yeah. Have you ever killed a buck on your birthday? I have never killed a buck on my birthday. I think there's some major juju going on around November 5th and we got to get to the bottom of that. We have to, now I have a partner in crime. We might have to, we might have to like do some, uh, investigative reporting on this. 
I think so. It's a moon. It's a moon thing, or it's I don't know what it is. But anyway, yeah, let's figure it out. Right. Okay. All right. So, so that's crazy. Anyway, how how many years have you been hunting now? Um, I started hunting uh, in central Wisconsin with my father and relatives in November of 1972. So yeah, it's like uh, holy cow, that's like 49 years, I think. Yeah, it's been a long time. Man, yeah, I was 12. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so now that the rut is, we're knocking on the rut, right? We're knocking right on the rut. This, this episode is going to be what to look for, uh, when you're hunting over the next handful of weeks, but like, how has your excitement changed throughout the years? Have like, do you still get like 20 year old version of Scott fired up to get out into the timber or are you more refined now in your approach to hunting? Oh, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of like a puppy in a field of butterflies and, you know, the first week of November. I mean, I just, I can't concentrate on anything. Do you get that too? Where you're oh, just yeah. like, well, I really should be working. And what, what was my name? You know, <laughs> <laughs> All I hear when my kids, uh, the best way to describe it is this. When my kids are talking to me and I'm mentally checked out, I'm, my brain is in the woods. My, my yep. kids or my wife are talking to me. It sounds like the Charlie Brown school teacher, where it's just right. wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> I know there's some noise going on somewhere, but I really can't identify it. <laughs> uh -huh. I've, I'm really good now at active listening, which is just people talking to me and I'm going, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah well it's pretty hard not to get excited um i think and uh you know it's funny um i i have that's a great question that you had because i i do think that you know i hunt the rut a little bit differently and i don't um i i gear myself mentally when i'm sitting a little differently than i used to i mean i think but in terms of just you know the excitement of it and the anticipation of it yeah I, if anything i think it gets worse every year i just can't wait and i'm it's like I got these trail cameras on. I gotta go check my trail cameras, and you know what buck is doing this, and yeah, it's just yeah, it's it never gets old. It never goes away. At least right. it hasn't for me. So. Um, just out of curiosity, how how many kids do you have? I have two. I have uh, twenty two year old uh, boy girl twins. Yep, and uh, yeah, neither of them. Uh, I think they saw my addiction, and they're like, yeah, we're not having any of that. But. Um, <laughs> So they don't hunt, but they, you know, they appreciate what I do and they're interested in what I do. And, uh, so yeah, and they, they gave it an honest uh, shot for a couple of years and they're just like, yeah, there's, I, you know, I, their path went a different way and that's totally fine. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that's great. That's probably funny. Do they, do they talk to their friends about you as if your addiction is something worse? Let's say like, uh, like, like some people would say, oh yeah, that's my dad. He, yeah. uh, he, he, he does a lot of crystal meth or, or things like, but he, they talk to their friends like, yeah, that's my dad. He's a, he's a hunter. <laughs> I got a great story when my daughter first, uh, when the kids went into high school. So my daughter, they're, you know, they're high school freshmen and my daughter, they're, of course, they're both nervous, you know, their first day in high school. And my daughter's walking down the hall and this tall, good looking senior comes walking up to her and she's, you know, all, you know, kind of nervous. And she's like, he's like, um, is your dad Scott Bestel? And um, Brooke goes, yeah, yeah, that's my dad. And she's, he's like, that is so cool. He's like a professional deer hunter. 
<laughs> and of course, Brooke, both my kids know exactly how I make my living, which is sitting my butt behind a computer and, you know, cranking out stories. And I'm like, she's like, yeah, that's not what he does. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least someone out there, you know, is putting you on a pedestal though, right? Right, right. Uh, him and my mom, they were like my two-person fan club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, my mom, to, to this date, still shares every single article that I post, she just shares it on Facebook or, or whatever. Oh, it doesn't matter what's it about, what it's about. It could yeah. be about, you know, runt hunting tactics or, or this or that. And she, even though none of her friends probably hunt, she still shares it, but thank you, that's mom. Awesome. I appreciate that's that. Great. Yeah, that's great. So it's that time of year, right? And so the, this entire podcast, all the episodes that we've done have kind of led up to these moments, right? We've talked about the best time of year. We've talked about how to find deer sign. We've talked about all of these things, right? So now it's time to put everything that we've talked about in this, in this podcast into action and putting yourself in position for a shot at, at a deer or whatever your goal is. As you approach a season, let's just say you have a week of vacation and you, you've decided to use it in these upcoming weeks here, what's your process, Scott? What is your, what would you recommend to someone who's brand new as an approach to being successful on their first year? Well, um, I, I'm sure I'm like you in that I spend a, a lot of time out in the woods all fall. And so, um, by the time we get here, I've, I've got quite a bit of Intel and, and walking, you know, uh, already uh, you know under my belt and so i've got a i hopefully have a fairly good handle on on where you know where deer are and you know where the best sign is um one thing that uh, i think a lot of guys and gals that are new to hunting and and it fall a trap they fall into and I, and I know this because i did it for years myself was you know we think the rut is all about you know chasing big bucks or you know going after a buck that we want or you know what of whatever size and we kind of get tunnel vision and we forget that, you know, um, right now what's really important is no, you know, knowing where your does are feeding. And so, um, cause that's where the bucks are going to wind up. I mean, you know, it's fun, fun to find rubs and scrapes and all that great buck sign and stuff. But man, I, what I keep going back to in my memory bank mm -hmm. is, you know, where, where are the does hanging out? Is there a good crop of acorns falling this year? Is, you know, is there a certain food plot or farm field that they're liking better than others? And, um, so anyway, that's, uh, that's kind of what I'm doing. And that's when I talk about, you know, a season's worth of Intel or, uh, or information. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I'm relying on right now. I think those are the spots that are going to produce some of the best action. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you. I think a lot of season hunters need to hear what you just said, because what is the rut all about? It's about breeding and what do the bucks mm -hmm. want during the breeding season they want the does it's very right. it's it's almost so simple you can't understand it right <laughs> well because we're guys we think it's all about us us, yeah. us. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> and the women keep reminding us it's about us 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 <laughs> yeah exactly oh, yeah yep. so so that's you know that's that's a very great uh great response now knowing that right? If, if you're looking for, let's say if, if your goal is to shoot a buck or maybe just shoot your first deer. So you don't care whether it's a buck, you don't care whether it's a doe, you just want to shoot a deer. How do we mm -hmm. go about finding a, 
a doe group to actively hunt, not only for hunting a doe, but potentially hunting a buck that might be right behind him this time of year? Uh, in my mind, it's, uh, I'm not saying it's, it's easy, but it's simple. Um, it, you know, one is food. Um, deer are slaves to their bellies. They're just like any living critter. You know, they, they're always thinking about where their next meal is coming from. So I'm looking for food. And then number two, um, and only slightly, slightly less important. In fact, uh, it, depending on the situation might even be more important is cover some place where they feel safe. Um, where they don't get, dis- you know, hopefully they don't get disturbed there very often. Or even if there is an area with fairly heavy hunting pressure, which is, that is the world I grew up in. I, the first 20 years of my life, all I did was hunt deer that were running from people all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, anyway, they're looking for security cover someplace thick, um, nasty. And, uh, you know, one analogy I u- I've used in my seminars is, you know, we, we like to think of whitetail bucks as these big majestic critters like, you know, like elk. And what they're really more like is, is a bunny rabbit. Um, you know, when an elk gets scared, he'll run two mountains away from you just to get away. And when a whitetail buck or a doe of, you know, a deer of any size, when they get scared, they make a little run away from whatever is scaring them. And then they make a loop and then they go lay down just like a rabbit does. They look for something nice and thick to put their back up against. And so those are the two things I look for all the time as a deer hunter. Where's the food? Where's the safe place to live? Right. So go into a little bit more detail about this cover, right? So people, maybe they have, they've, they've done their prep work and they've already put up some tree stands or ground mm-hmm. blinds in certain places. But if they haven't, what does this cover look like so that maybe they can identify it when they're walking out into the woods um well i look for you know um the foresters call it stem density and what it just means is you know lots of lots of thick little trees (laughs) um so you know like when i hunt the big woods of northern wisconsin all public ground um, i'm looking for clear cuts where lots of new young growth is popping up um, is one example, um, a, you know, a little swamp that's, uh, you know, thick and nasty and gnarly. Um, in my neighborhood here in, in southeast Minnesota, um, I'm looking for areas. Uh, I just I just uh, found a spot on public land here that I'm going to be hunting probably tomorrow. And it was an area that was logged three years ago by loggers. And just all that sunlight came down to the forest floor. And what used to be a big mature oak, forest that deer like to feed in but not lay in is now just this nasty gnarly chunk of of you know it's just it's bunny cover and the deer sign in there is awesome and i put a trail camera up there uh about three weeks ago and i mean there's there's five bucks in there that i think you know most guys would be pretty happy to shoot that, that's state land so anyway um yeah i'm just i'm looking for i'm looking for thick stuff and and you know you, then you then you go beyond that you find what looks like nasty hairy cover and then you start looking for deer sign you know i'm looking for tracks i'm looking for trails i'm looking for rubs and scrapes um uh, and those are the little tip-offs that start refining you okay here's the general you know, chunk of really good deer habitat. Now, what's the specific place I'm looking for where I think I can arrange an encounter with a deer? Right. Okay. So you go in there, you find the cover, you find the deer sign. Now walk us through how you would set up your ground blind or your deer stand around this cover so that when the deer are are kind of working their way through, um, they're not going to smell you or see you. Sure. Um, well, 
I do my best to read read the sign uh, in terms of you know where. So if, if if you kind of think of deer movement as a point A to point B thing, um, he's either the deer are either getting up from their bed and going somewhere to feed, or they're done feeding and they're going back to bed or or a place where they feel safe. And so it's uh, you know I do my best to read the sign and figure out what I think they're doing. So in, in other words, let's go back to the state land spot. It's excellent bedding cover. And right nearby are some really nice farm fields. You know, there's alfalfa there and there's corn, uh, you know, some picked soybeans. And so my, the way I'm reading the sign is those bucks are, and, and does are bedding in that thick, clear cut area. They're making their way out in the afternoon towards those fields. And in the morning, they're working their way back. And so then it's just a simple matter of saying, okay, well, here's what I think is the best trail um, you know, going out to the food or coming back. And then I just, uh, I just try to decide ahead of time, okay, what wind do I need? What wind direction do I need to hang a tree stand, um, sit in, sit on a ground blind, um, and, and not let deer, you know, be downwind of me and smell me. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a process of elimination and, and sometimes, you know, I guess wrong. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's part of hunting. I mean, yeah. They're better at being deer than we were out hunting them. I can tell you that. That's a fact. So now we have this, now we've found, let's say we've done our scouting. We've identified where to hang the tree stands. Um, we've identified the, the sign, the cover, maybe even the food source, right? This, like you mentioned, the point A to B in their travel pattern uh, throughout a day, a single day or a 24 hour period. Mm-hmm. How do we know when to hunt along this line, this A to B bed to food line, um, based off of whether it's a morning hunt or an afternoon hunt? Well, yeah. Um, so deer tend to tend to feed more heavily in the afternoon. Um, that's been my experience. Uh, you know, they'll spend the af- afternoon, uh, late afternoon, evening into the night, out in feeding areas and then and then as the sun comes you know gets close to the sunrise they're moving back towards the bed to lay up for the day um the exception of that is if if you are actually in that thick cover uh, a lot of times deer will get up in the middle of the day and you know and browse around if, if they feel safe uh and and also uh, obviously you know we're talking about the rut um the rut is when you get a lot more you know it kind of throws it throws a happy wrench into the bed to food pattern that we, you know, that is pretty much deer hunting the rest of the year. Um, but all of a sudden there's a third motivator there and, and a buck, uh, bucks and does are both, you know, they're ready to breed. And when that, when they feel that ha- needs to happen, it doesn't matter what the clock is telling them they're, they're going to do it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I don't know if that answers your question or, or helps. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I'm, I'm looking for, that's a great answer, but let's get into a, where along that line, like I'll just use an example. Um, some guys in the morning will hunt closer to a bedding area. Some guys mm-hmm. in the afternoon may hunt closer to a food source, um, yep. or, or along that line somewhere, shape or form. What, what's sure. your experience as far as what your style of hunting is in regards to morning versus afternoon hunts? Um, I tend to kind of push a little bit. Um, I don't mind sitting on a, right on the food source, uh, on occasions. Um, if the conditions are right, um, I think deer will get there with plenty of daylight left, but I, uh given a choice 
I will I would push a little bit in towards the bed just because I think the less distance a buck has to travel to get to me, the better chance I have of of him getting there before um, you know before shooting hours are over or um, and um, he just I, I'm eliminating some of his options. In other words, if I find let's say I find an oak tree dropping acorns and the deer are you know I feel like the deer are hitting it pretty well and I also have a suspicion based on trails or rubs that I think I know where a buck is coming from. Um, and I'm like, well, this oak tree is is kind of wh- where I want to be. But, you know, there might be, let's say on that same ridge, there's four or five other oak trees that are, you know, maybe not as good, but they're decent. Um, I would love to be a little bit closer to that buck's bed than I am to that super good uh, oak tree because when he gets up out of that bed and starts walking, who knows what's going to influence him. He might, he might originally think, um, Oh boy, I'm going to go to that super good Oak and, and have some of those acorns. And then all of a sudden he sees a doe get up and walk, you know, over to another tree and like, ah, maybe I'll go over there. So I just like to kind of eliminate options for them. And, you know, the tighter I can get to them, the better. Um, but again, that's a fine, that's a fine line to walk. I mean, you, you know, you get too tight and all of a sudden he hears you setting up or, 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 you know, so anyway, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think that a hunter has to kind of work out for himself and making mistakes uh, as a, you know, shoot, you know, you and I have been doing this for a long, long time and I'm, I'm confident you make a mistake or two once in a while and I do it on an embarrassing uh, number of times. <laughs> so it's just part of hunting and it's what you, it helps you learn. Uh, and uh, there's, you know, there's zero wrong with it. I mean, you know, I bumped a, I bumped a heck of a lot of deer in my day, and uh, I woke up the next day, and everything, everything was a okay. So yeah, I think it's just a question of, of trying things. And you know, um, if you, tr- you know, if your first setup isn't working, that you know, the buck didn't get there, or he got there too late, you know, maybe next time creep in on him a little, try something, try a little more aggression. Um, yeah. You know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, it's, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to get it right the first time. As a matter of fact, one of the nicest bucks I killed in Minnesota, and this is shocking um, because my deer here are, are not, um, you know, these are not unpressured deer living on some manicured estate. These deer are hunted and there's state land all around me. But one of the nicest bucks I killed did the same thing, basically the same pattern, five nights in a row. And it took me to the fifth night to kill him. That's how inept I was on that deer. Right. <laughs> Well, there's a lesson there, (laughs) but there's a lesson there, right? Right. Because how many times did you have to move your tree stand or how many times did you have to do a certain thing in order to get him within shooting range of you? Yeah. Every night, every night it was a different ad. So I started with an observation stand. I mean, a farmer had told me, Hey, I saw a nice 10 pointer out in this field that we just picked. And I'm like, oh, I got the general location. And so I had a suspicion where the buck might be coming out, but I didn't really know. So the first night I set up and I didn't even really intend to kill the deer. I sat in what I call an observation stand. It's kind of well off the action of where I thought the buck was coming. I just wanted him to tip his hand to me, just do something that I could see that I could maybe capitalize on. And sure enough, that night he came out, he's about 100 yards away, walked out into this field with another 10 pointer and they fed a little bit. And then they, as soon as they moved off and they couldn't see me anymore, I scrambled out of that tree and I had a plan for the next night. Right. And, and so anyway, um, and you, you know, you've done this before. I mean, it's just, so anyway, yeah, every, every night I would make another little move on him. And and one night he just got lucky. He was about five steps away from 
being in perfect bowl range and a little uh, basket rack buck came in behind me and spooked and, and spooked my deer. He didn't know I was there, but something spooked that deer. And so he left and uh, I'm like, doggone it. You know, there yep. was swing number three. How many times am I going to get a chance at this guy? Well, as it turned out, it was five and uh, he was gracious enough to hang around. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I mean, I, I joke with my friends that, you know, a good deer hunter would have killed that buck in two sets. Unfortunately, he was stuck with me, but the <laughs> one... <laughs> The lesson there is, is that you can, you can make mistakes. You can guess wrong. And you're, that doesn't mean you're, you're done. You're out of the game They You know, and this was a nice mature buck, you know, he wasn't any, he wasn't any dummy, you know, he just, right. I was lucky enough to catch him on a pattern that he was pretty faithful to. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is a good transition. We get into, you know, we get into the whole process here and you know, just as well as I do that just because you cross all the T's and dot all the I's, it doesn't mean you're going to kill a deer. All right. So what, or, you know, or you have the unfortunate event of getting busted by a deer or Mm -hmm. you, you have a shot opportunity and you miss, or you make a bad shot and you never recover the deer. How would you suggest, especially during the season, right? There's only so much time of this rut that we have uh, available to hunt. How do we bounce back from a failure like that, whether it's strategy-wise or it's shot-wise? Yeah, I, you know, it's. I think it's just one of those things where, you know, it it is disappointing. I mean, I've I've airballed deer that I should have killed. You know, the misses haunt me to this day. Um, I've blown it, blown it on a setup where I felt like I, you know, dang it, if I'd have just done this instead of that, I'd probably had a shot. And that's again, I. I mean, I think, I think it's important to keep these things in perspective and that, you know, of course you're disappointed. You might even be crushed, you know, but um, you just have to take a breather and just take a deep breath and just go back out there and just keep swinging at them. Um, And yeah, I mean, if, and Hey, if you need a day off to just kind of recharge your battery, take it, who cares? You know, Um, I go, I'll, uh, I got a nice young golden retriever and i'll just take him out pheasant hunting for a couple hours instead of deer hunting it kind of clears my head and gets lets me you know lets me walk for a little bit but um yeah you just gotta you gotta accept that you know deer hunting is just like anything else you're gonna there's gonna be days where you fail and i mean even the best of us i mean they if they if people tell you they're not failing they're not telling you the truth i mean it's just part of it as i said before these these animals are out there 24 7 365 and their number one job is to stay alive (laughs) and you know we are part-time visitors to their woods trying to figure them out and so yeah they're they're better at it than we are let's face it um and so um yeah just accept that as kind of the rules of the game and you know they're going to hand it to you once in a while and yep it's a good dose of humiliation but the best of us you know the best hunters i know they they learn from it they're like okay what did i do there what you know what could i have done better um you know uh, and if it's if it's whiffing a shot or hitting the deer bad well it's time to go back to the target you know and just uh just get your confidence back and go, I can do this. I've, you know, I've proven to myself that I'm a good shot. I know I can do this. I just need to, you know, uh, just pull it together under pressure. Yep. Right. Okay. So we've, we've talked about a little bit of everything, but this time of year, uh, or let me back up in this series, we've talked about 
things like calling, whether it's grunting or rattling or an occasional snort wheeze, different vocalizations or sounds that a, a deer can make that may bring a deer in. Sure. Do you have a specific uh, calling strategy that you use? Um, you know, I try to, it's sometimes right. <laughs> I'm kind of, I'm find myself doing a mental tap dance here in, in my ideal scenario. What I like to do is call to a deer that I see. Um, and because that gives me a chance to, to gauge his, his or her reactions. Um, and, uh, and, and, and for me as a caller, that that's an important thing. Cause some, you know, it's, it's like someone says, um, you know, do you like to rattle? Yeah. I love to rattle. Um, I've rattled in a lot of bucks. I've killed and killed some bucks that I've rattled in, but, um, I've also, um, you know, there are deer out there and some of them are super big. Um, they don't like to fight. They're just not aggressive animals, you know, or you might be dealing with a deer that, you know, wasn't a fight the night before and got his butt kicked and, you know, you rattle at him and he might go, you know, I'm just not feeling it today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, ideally, I like to, you know, call to a deer that I can see. Uh, ideally, I like to call to a, a deer that I, I, I think will not be able to get downwind of me. When I, when I'm in a setup, especially during the rut, um, where I think I'm going to be doing a lot of calling, and, and this is just good advice on any for people to think about. Anytime you hang a tree stand, is, you know, is there a way for deer to get downwind of me? And if there is, um, is there a way that I can do something about that? You know, can I put an obstacle there that won't let them make that circle? Um, I've got a couple stands that I call no bust deer stands where, you know, a deer basically cannot win me if he comes, even if he comes from downwind. And it's usually because of an elevation change. You know, it's, uh, I put, I'm on the edge of a steep hill and my scent is blowing out over the valley. So when I call, uh, if I've got a setup like that where I know deer aren't going to be able to smell me, then it, then um, I feel pretty confident, you know, rattling, uh, grunting, snort wheezing, doing anything. Because, you know, it's the natural instinct of a deer uh, to, you know, when he hears another deer, if he can't see that deer, he's going to try to get downwind and smell, which, you know, who am I dealing with here? Is this, you know, is this a buck I know? Is this a deer I've never seen before? I'm just, they don't like walking in there to, to a mystery. And so that's their natural inclination is to, you know, unless they're feeling really spunky, um, they'll charge right in. But, you know, most of the time they're going to, they're going to kind of slip, slip downwind of you if they can. Yeah. And I've learned, uh, you know, we, we talked about failure there that when you call it's, it's almost, uh, it's a bigger risk than it is uh, a reward. Uh, I don't know how many times I've, uh, and I didn't realize this until one year I, I rattled and I, I was in a, I was in off the timber, probably, oh, off the field edge, I should say about 80 yards, but all the trees were off. So I could see into the field. Well, a cr- clear across the field, there was a, a, a really good buck and he was, working the field, the opposite field edge, and he, he hit a scrape and he was thrashing his trees, you know, and sure. to, to me, that's an opportunity to rattle because yeah, it's absolutely. a call. It's loud. He's, he's feeling aggressive. He's raking a tree. He's making a scrape. And I yeah. rattled loud and he turned his head and he looked and he came right in, but at about a hundred yards, he flanked off and he flanked off away. And then he came down behind me and then he busted me. So <laughs> it's one of those things where um, sometimes those deer, they'll come in on a frozen rope right to you. 
but other times yep. they will they'll get all the way down behind you just depending on how they feel because i bet you that that uh that buck has busted other hunters before doing that same thing and sure. uh man sometimes you win sometimes you lose with a strategy like that and, and you yep. know that's why in my opinion it's so important to put your tree stand in the right position to catch natural deer movement yep so no i agree that's the ideal um and it, you know it's it's in terms of calling it's to me it's so much more effective um and and less risky if you're if your buck if your buck is generally moving your direction anyway but he might be you know sliding out of bull range and all you got to do is coax him over a little bit um i know around here that's a really you know grunting is a really good way to do that in my area or or a snort wheeze just you know if that buck is you know he's trudging along he's in your wheelhouse but you're you know you might not be able to get a shot and if you give him a little grunt or something you might go oh oh over there maybe i need to go over there yeah um but you're not asking him to come you know i it's funny when you were describing your rattling uh story there i mean i've i could see that happening because it was it's me you know when you it's so exciting to see him making that big lope and coming in on a string and then all of a sudden i mean we've all been there all of a sudden it's like a little tumbler goes off in their head and they're like huh i don't really know what i'm getting into here yeah yeah <laughs> you know and uh, and so you're you know you're at, you're asking a deer to do a lot, um, and sometimes they do it, God bless them. But uh, but other times you know they remember that they're deer and that they're you know they're going to be cautious and that. So yeah, the the less to me the the it's like calling in a turkey. The right. closer you are to that gobbler when you start calling, the bet to me the better chance you have of of bringing him in. You're not asking him to come very far. We're like, hey, I'm ahead. I'm right here. You know. Yeah. Um, rather than being a half mile away and you know yeah we get a gobbler every once in a while it'll put on his track shoes and come running that far but most of them don't you know <laughs> they want you to they want you to you know help them out and i think deer are pretty pretty similar you know the closer you are to them and the less you're asking them to do the more successful you'll be absolutely and then we have one more strategy sometimes it works i i've never been a fan of it but i've i've talked to guys who absolutely love doing it and that's decoying are you a fan of of using any type of uh deer decoy to hopefully bring them in you know if so, i'm gonna i'm gonna throw down the gauntlet to, to our listeners if you want to if you want to make a million dollars well okay make a half a million come up with a decoy a deer decoy that's 3d realistic looking but light and super easy to carry because right now it doesn't exist <laughs> <laughs> um so anyway that's my pr preface to uh yeah i'm i've had some really exciting hunts over decoys uh and they're they can be super effective but they're so such a clumsy pain in the butt to deal with that most of the time I don't use them. Um, and I've got setups, you know, my, uh, I was just talking to a friend of mine. I'm actually hunting down in your country here in a couple of weeks. I have a, a tag for Southern Iowa. Nice. And uh, I was with a buddy over Labor Day weekend. We were getting some spots set up and I, we, we picked this one tree that was kind of in the middle of a field. It's kind of a sentinel tree that deer like to come cruising by and I go, this would be such a great spot to just bring a decoy in, lay it in the weeds. Then when you come in to hunt in the morning or evening and you want to use it, it's there and you can just pop it up. But yeah, slinging one over your shoulder is, uh, is cumbersome. And you know, it's, I tell you what, a decoy, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a call on steroids. Once you throw it out there, 
you can't take it back. And there's going to be times when you're going to want to take it back. Right. <laughs> you know, because um, there are some deer that, you know, they're going to see that decline. They're going to be like, nope, I don't want that. Um, and then you'd be like, dang it. You know, what if that thing wouldn't have been there? Um, but others, you know, I'm, whitetails are curious and social critters. And um, my editor uh, from Field and Stream who's coming to hunt with me uh, here in a few days. Um, I got him on his very first uh, archery buck, which was many years ago now. And yeah, we put a decoy out and a buck came in and look, you're, you're talking to a guy, you know, he's deer hunting a lot, but he's never killed a deer with his bow. And we put a decoy out and a nice two-year-old nine-pointer came in and bristled up and charged that thing and knocked the head and the ears off and and then stopped and he shot him at 10 yards. And I mean, what an introduction to bow hunting. So yeah, it was, it, they can be really, really exciting, but um, yeah, you got, you got to kind of be cautious in their use and, and they're, they're, they're cumbersome, you know, right. hard to use. Right. Agree. All right. So we've kind of went really high level across the whole rut real quick. Is there any other tips, tricks, advice that you would like to give to the listeners who are you know, probably a, uh, a first time rut hunter, or maybe they're, they're in their first five years of, of, uh, trying to figure this, uh, this deer hunting thing out. Well, you've talked to me before, so, you know, I'm going to give my, my quickie safety sermon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of this. Um, but you got to be super careful out there in tree stands, uh, especially, you know, if you're hunting from elevated blinds and platforms and tree, I mean, you, you've got to, I have a safety line on every setup. I'm not most of them, everyone. And, um, they, I had one save my bacon last year. It was October 28th. It was about this very date. And we had a snow, uh, on the ground, uh, our first snow of the year. And I mean, you know what that's like. I mean, the, the rut's coming and now you get snow. Um, I couldn't wait to get out there. So I slide out to my tree stand. I actually saw a nice young buck already on his feet, you know, three hours before dark. And I'm like, this is going to be one of those nights that I'm going to remember. And I tell you what it was, cause I, I clipped into my safety line. I crawled up this ladder stand and, um, I stepped on the platform and I was getting my, so I'm still clipped into my safety line. I was getting my bow hanger out and the cables supporting that platform snapped simultaneously. And that platform went down more. And one minute I was up there ready to kill a big buck. And the next minute I'm dangling midair going, what the heck just happened to me? And um, so anyway, um, yeah, be safe out there. It's right. super, super important. You know, your number one job as a hunter, in my opinion, is to come home safely to your loved ones so that they can see you again and you can see them. And number two, you're supposed to have fun. Absolutely. And number three, if you kill a big deer, well, then good for you. You've, you've completed the trifecta. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Scott, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day. Um, thank you very much for coming on and, and spreading some words of wisdom and, and good luck in the next couple weeks. You too, man. I was honored to be on here, and uh, I'm super happy about this podcast being, you know, devoted toward, you know, younger, newer hunters. And because, uh, man, we were we were all there once. And I tell you what, I've been at it a long time, and I sometimes I still feel like I'm just a rookie. So yeah, keep at it, man. And let and again, just enjoy it, and have fun, learn when you can, and uh, it's it's a great it's a great sport to be to be involved in. Thanks for listening to today's episode. 
If you want to find out more information and utilize additional resources, visit DeerAssociation.com slash Hunting 101. There you will find links to the YouTube series, Guide to Successful Deer Hunting ebook, New Hunter sign-up sheets, and Deer Hunting 101 courses. Additionally, you can listen to more outdoor-themed podcasts at SportsmansNation.com, on iTunes, or anywhere you download your podcasts.